Hello and welcome to An Engineer's Journey Through the Book of Mormon. We explore the Book of Mormon with the assumption that science worked the same then as it does now and that the characters are real people with the same types of feelings and tendencies as you and me today. The views and opinions expressed here are strictly those of the narrator and should not be considered official interpretations in any way. And now An Engineer's Journey Through the Book of Mormon. Hello and welcome back. In today's video, which is 2 Nephi 31 through 33, Nephi discusses the path to eternal life, how to get on the path, and what to do after that. But first we need to answer the trivia question that we asked last time. Roughly what percent of the book of Isaiah is in the Book of Mormon? And fortunately for us, there are people who like to tabulate this sort of thing. Isaiah has 66 chapters and 1,292 verses, and of those, 414, which is 32% of them, are quoted in the Book of Mormon. Another 34 verses are paraphrased, which pushes the total up to 34%, so roughly a third of the Book of Isaiah found its way into the Book of Mormon, most of which was in 2 Nephi, which we covered in the last few videos. And being totally honest, Isaiah is hard to get through. It's not the sort of thing I can read and come away feeling uplifted, motivated, and inspired. Instead, Isaiah seems to take a lot of work to understand, so the tendency, I think, is generally to avoid it. But anyway, the answer is roughly one-third of the book of Isaiah can be found in the Book of Mormon. All right, in the last video, we discussed 2 Nephi chapters 25 through 30, where Nephi prophesied of future events. In today's discussion, covering 2 Nephi 31 through 33, he stops prophesying and says he would like to speak plainly. He, quote, delights in plainness, because that is how God speaks to his children. Here's verse 3. For my soul delighteth in plainness, for after this manner doth the Lord God work among the children of men. For the Lord God giveth light unto the understanding, for he speaketh unto men according to their language unto their understanding. Nephi then plainly talked about the Savior being baptized and what that means for us. But why was the Savior baptized? As Mormon will teach us later in Moroni chapter 8, baptism is for repentance and for the remission of sins. So there's no reason for those who are incapable of sin, such as little children, to be baptized. So if that's the case, why was the Savior who was free of sin baptized? Here's verse 7. Know ye not that he was holy, but notwithstanding he being holy, he showeth unto the children of men that, according to the flesh, he humbleth himself before the Father, and witnesseth unto the Father that he would be obedient unto him in keeping his commandments. Baptism allows a remission of sins, but what makes the remission of sin possible is the covenant that we enter into. We covenant to be obedient and follow the Savior, and in exchange for that, he promises us the gift of the Holy Ghost. And it's the gift of the Holy Ghost that purifies us and cleans us from sin. But even the Savior who was sinless needed to enter into that covenant, not to have his sins remitted, but because, as Nephi explained, returning to our Heavenly Father requires us to follow a straight and narrow path. I think we may have the wrong mental image when we hear the, the phrase straight and narrow path. We picture someone walking on a path that goes in a direct, unbending direction. Nothing could be easier, right? Just stay on that straight and narrow path. Well, 
straight as used here is spelled S-T-R-A-I-T and it does not mean unbending. It means confining or restrictive. Think of straitjacket, for example. Now that doesn't mean that it's oppressive, but it means very closely defined. And narrow in this context was was translated from a Greek word that refers to being closely surrounded by objects. Kind of an unofficial word might be it feels squeezy if if we can invent a word here. So if you picture the straight and narrow path as one in which you're carefully squeezing your way through a, a narrow gap in a thicket, that may be closer to the, the right mental image. The, the reason I think that this is an important distinction is because the path is different for everybody. And you might wonder, how can it be different if it's a straight line? So it's important to clarify that that's not what it's saying and not what it means. Again, it's more like pushing through a narrow thicket than walking along a sidewalk. So going back to the chapter, in verse 12, Jesus Christ spoke to Nephi. And also the voice of the Son came unto me, saying, He that is baptized in my name, to him will the Father give the Holy Ghost, like unto me. Wherefore, follow me and do the things which ye have seen me do. For the rest of the chapter, Nephi compares our progress toward eternal life to a straight and narrow path. Baptism is not the journey's end. It is the beginning. It's the first gate that we need to pass through. It is in this context that he gave the following verse to talk about what happens after we pass through the gate. Verse 20, Wherefore, ye must press forward with steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and a love of God and of all men. Wherefore, if ye shall press forward, feasting upon the word of Christ and endure to the end, behold, thus saith the Father, ye shall have eternal life. People frequently talk about needing to endure a difficult time, but in this context, to endure does not mean simply just gritting one's teeth and hunkering down until the storm blows over. Instead, it means to continually progress until the destination is reached. Think of an endurance athlete or an endurance sport. Endurance in this sense is not about curling up and absorbing blows. It's about continuously making forward progress toward a goal. So now we move to chapter 32. Nephi had just explained to his people as plainly as he knew how about how to live a gospel life and stay on the covenant path. But it appears that his audience expected more specific instructions. Continuing the metaphor of following a path, they told Nephi in essence that, that they wanted a map. They wanted to be told precisely what to do. Nephi sensed this and here's how he responded in verse one of chapter 32. And now behold my beloved brethren, I suppose that ye ponder somewhat in your hearts concerning that which ye should do after ye have entered in by the way. But behold, why do ye ponder these things in your hearts? So before we continue in, in chapter 31, which we just read, verse 13, Nephi said that after being baptized, we would receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and speak with the tongue of angels. Here in 32, he references that and explains in more detail what that means. Verse two, do ye not remember that I said unto you that after ye had received the gift of the Holy Ghost, ye could speak with the tongue of angels? And now, how could ye speak with the tongue of angels, save it were by the Holy Ghost? Angels speak by the power of the Holy Ghost, wherefore they speak the words of Christ. Wherefore I said unto you, feast upon the words of Christ, for behold, the words of Christ will tell you all things what ye should do. 
Speaking with the tongue of angels meant speaking the words of Christ by the power of the Holy Ghost. And the words of Christ as delivered by the Holy Ghost would tell them what they should do. I can't give everyone a map, he is saying. Instead, the Holy Ghost will instruct you on what to do. Nephi felt like he was speaking pretty plainly. In verse 4, he said that if his audience could not understand his words, it would be because they did not try to understand him. Here's verse 4. Wherefore, now, after I have spoken these words, if ye cannot understand them, it will be because ye ask not. Neither do ye knock. Wherefore, ye are not brought into the light, but must perish in the dark. He then summarized his point a final time. Once you've obtained the Holy Ghost, it will show you what to do. Here's verse 5. For behold, again I say unto you, that if you will enter in by the way and receive the Holy Ghost, it will show unto you all things what you should do. Going back to the metaphor of a path that we introduced in the last chapter, the people were asking for a map or a list of instructions to follow. But, as we talked about above, Everyone's path is different. Everyone is navigating different terrain. There isn't a, a one-size-fits-all map that works for everyone. Some people struggle with depression or anxiety. Others combat poverty. Some fight addictions. Some have disabilities or other limitations. Others need to manage the distractions of affluence. Still others need to avoid being envious of those who are being distracted by affluence. And then there's parents. In addition to their own challenges, parents might need to help their children navigate any number of diverse challenges. So there isn't a uniform map that's going to apply to everyone. But instead of a map, Nephi explained to his audience, God promises something even better. He promises a guide. Receive the Holy Ghost and it will be your guide. And it will show you what you should do. But Nephi's audience still wanted a map. They wanted to be told precisely what to do. Probably pulling his hair out, Nephi responded, you know, that's it. That's all there is. Have faith, repent, be baptized, let the Holy Ghost guide you. Here's, here's Nephi in verse 6. Behold, this is the doctrine of Christ, and there will be no more doctrine given until after he shall manifest himself unto you in the flesh. And when he shall manifest himself unto you in the flesh, the things which he shall say unto you shall you observe to do. But even now, 2,000 years after Christ came, the path of discipleship is still largely unmarked. There is no universal map. I've, I've heard a lot of people comment that after serving a mission and getting married in the temple, they had checked all the personal progress boxes and had no idea what God wanted them to do next. Our journey is a personal one, and it's largely left to the individual to figure it out. The church does assign tasks, and it provides activities and responsibilities for its members and sermons by modern prophets and apostles. You know, all of these things direct us toward a path where we can feel the spirit and hopefully make a connection with it and learn how to um, have a relationship with the Holy Ghost as our guide. But establishing that connection with our guide is still up to us. Anyway, Nephi was tired of explaining to people who wouldn't listen to him. And as happened so often in the book of First Nephi, we can tell by his language that he's becoming frustrated. Verse 7. And now I, Nephi, cannot say more. The Spirit stoppeth mine utterance. And I am left to mourn because of the unbelief and the wickedness and the ignorance and the stiff-neckedness of men, for they will not search knowledge. 
nor understand great knowledge when it is given unto them in plainness, even as plain as word can be. The next couple of verses imply that not only did Nephi's audience not want to search the scriptures or be led by the Holy Ghost as their guide, but they didn't even want to pray. Nephi told them that the devil inspired such feelings. Verse 8, And now, my beloved brethren, I perceive that ye ponder still in your hearts, and it grieveth me that I must speak concerning this thing. For if ye would hearken unto the Spirit, which teacheth a man to pray, ye would know that ye must pray. For the evil spirit teacheth not a man to pray, but teacheth him that he must not pray. Perhaps Nephi was hearing echoes of a conversation he had had with his brothers sitting in Lehi's tent just outside Jerusalem. From 1 Nephi 15, verse 8, And I said unto them, Have ye inquired of the Lord? Verse 9, And they said unto me, We have not, for the Lord maketh no such thing known unto us. Nephi loved his people and had such hopes for them. Why were they so stubborn, he wondered. A few verses later, in 2 Nephi 33, he described his sorrow and his frustration with them. Here's 2 Nephi 33, verse 3. But I, Nephi, have written what I have written, and I esteem it as of great worth, and especially unto my people. For I pray continually for them by day, and mine eyes water my pillow by night because of them, and I cry unto my God in faith, and I know that he will hear my cry. In Jacob 4, Jacob described those in the city of Jerusalem, which his family had fled, as being similar to Nephi's audience. They resisted words of plainness and wanted God to prescribe every step for them. Here's verse 14. But behold, the Jews were a stiff-necked people, and they despised the words of plainness, and killed the prophets, and sought for things that they could not understand. Wherefore, because of their blindness, which blindness came by looking beyond the mark, they must needs fall. For God hath taken away his plainness from them, and delivered unto them many things which they cannot understand, because they desired it. And because they desired it, God hath done it, that they may stumble. The prophet Joseph Smith taught his people the same lesson in Doctrine and Covenants, section 58, when he told them that people shouldn't need to be commanded every step of the way. Verses 26 and 7. For behold, it is not meet that I should command in all things. For he that is compelled in all things, the same is a slothful and not a wise servant. Wherefore, he receiveth no reward. Verily, I say, men should be anxiously engaged in a good cause and do many things of their own free will and bring to pass much righteousness. Okay, now we move officially into chapter 33. This is the last chapter written by Nephi in the small plates. His writings were not his diary, as some people assume, but his memoirs, which he was actually assigned to write. He told future readers in verse 11 that at the judgment bar, quote, ye shall know that I've been commanded of Christ to write these things. He wished he could speak directly to his audience rather than writing to them for, quote, when a man speaketh by the power of the Holy Ghost, the power of the Holy Ghost carrieth unto the hearts of the children of men. He wished he could have expressed himself better in writing, but his writing in the scriptural language didn't allow it. Moroni, toward the end of the book, Mormon, had a similar frustration with the Nephite written language. We won't read it here, but it's in Ether 12, verses 23 through 25, if you want to look into it. But despite his regrets and feelings of inadequacy, Nephi said, I have written what I have written, and I esteem it as of great worth, and especially unto my people. He also knew that God would compensate for his weakness in writing. Here's verse 4. 
And I know that the Lord God will consecrate my prayers for the gain of my people. And the words which I have written in weakness will be made strong unto them, for it persuadeth them to do good. It maketh known unto them of their fathers, and it speaketh of Jesus, and persuadeth them to believe in him. And then Nephi had some closing words for these people that he loved. He reiterated some themes from his writings. You know, he, he delighted in plainness and spoke harshly against sin. No one would be offended by such language unless they had the spirit of the devil. He summarized Jacob's words from 2 Nephi 10.24 of the need to reconcile ourselves to the will of God. And also his own words from 2 Nephi 31 verses 17 and 18 that discussed the importance of passing through the gate of baptism and then continuing along the gospel path. Then, despite the fact that he was watering his pillow with his tears by night for his people, and despite his complaining about his people's reluctance to pray or to learn or follow the Holy Ghost, Nephi said something that surprised me a little. Verse 12, And I pray the Father in the name of Christ that many of us, if not all, may be saved in his kingdom at the great and last day. Despite Nephi's frustrations with his people, he was still hopeful that many of them, if not all, could be saved. In my opinion, he understood that people often encounter intellectual or spiritual obstacles along their spiritual journey, but encountering those obstacles does not disqualify them from salvation. After bidding farewell to his brethren, Nephi ended by warning his readers not to dismiss his words, for they would weigh against them at the judgment bar at the last day. And that's it. With that, we have wrapped up 2 Nephi. And so we will now have a trivia question. The question is simple, but it leads to an interesting discussion, in my opinion. Here's the question. Did Nephi have children? If so, how do we know? And what do we know about them? If you have an answer to that, go ahead and leave it in the comments. And we will see you next time.